Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. Right now, Steve is exploring the important prophecy term, the Son of God. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. We are looking at uh, seven sets of prophetic terms, important prophetic terms that I believe you need to have a foundational understanding of before we move into our next teaching series, which immediately follows this, uh, where we're going to look at the 30 prophetic events that take place according to the Bible between now and the end of the book of Revelation, or what we call eternity. 30 specific events, and these are the 30 events that I have uh, understood that the Bible teaches uh, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that's the absolute truth that there are others. Uh, uh, I would certainly like to hear from you. At uh, You can uh, contact me at steve at whcbradio.org and let me know of others that you may be aware of. Would love to know that. Would love to share it with our listening audience. But I believe that there are 30 key prophetic events that uh, must take place according to the Scriptures. And if all of the Old Testament and the New Testament prophecies that have already come to pass have, one, come to pass, and two, have come to pass in the great detail, the specificity of time, place, participants, uh, impact, all of that. If that has already happened, why? Why in the world would we not expect the future prophecies to be just like the former prophecies that have been fulfilled, that they also will be fulfilled in the same degree of specificity. So excited about that, excited to share that with you. But as I was preparing the uh, the notes for that, I, I realized that there were some terms that if we did not have a good understanding of the um, comparison and even more so the contrasting between these terms, such as the Son of God, the Son of Man that we're dealing with right now and exploring the Scriptures, and then uh, next, we'll look at the day of Christ compared to the day of the Lord. You you may think that's one and the same, but they are two quite, quite different um, times with different purposes and different outcomes and different people involved. Uh, and if we miss that point, we miss a lot of the real fruit that the Lord would like us to uh, derive from a study of his prophetic uh, plans for us going forward. For us, the church for Israel, uh, for the Gentiles, they're all going to be involved. They're all prophetic uh, occurrences that are going to take place involving one or more of those three groups. So we need to understand that, and I think understanding these terms is very important. So we are in, if you will, um, 1B, the other part of the uh, first point. We've looked at the scriptures on the Son of God. Now we're looking at scriptures dealing with the Son of Man to understand the difference. And we have been in the book of John, so I'd like to go to John chapter 5. And we established a foundation for this 
relationship between the Son of God and the Son of Man, realizing it is Jesus Christ, but he is going to be performing different judgments going forward, starting with the rapture of the church, and he's going to be sitting as the judge, and he's either going to be sitting as the Son of God or he's going to be sitting as the Son of Man. And hopefully by now, if you've been <laughs> following with us for any period of time, you've you've come to grips with the difference between those two terms. Uh, perhaps if you're with us for the first time or fairly new to the program, you're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, it's the same person. Yes, it is the same person, but you can have a judge who is there looking at uh I'm going to reward you for what you've been doing for me uh, and with my church, with my body of believers, while you've been on the earth since you've come to know me through my death, burial, and resurrection. I'm going to reward you. Or he's going to be sitting in front of another group or groups, as we'll find out, groups to judge them for their unbelief. He's going to judge them for the sins. There's going to be no rewards it's going to be punishment. So two totally different things, and we see that, I, I believe, uh, clearly as we look at John chapter 5. And again, to set the stage, we, we show in our worksheet there the first set of verses in John 5 is 21 to 23, so let's read those again. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes so we're showing the, the, the comparable aspects of God the Father and God the Son. They both can raise from the dead. They both can give eternal life. Verse 22, for not even the Father judges anyone, but he, the Father, has given all judgment to the Son. So going forward in all of these judgments, whether it's judging as the Son of God for rewards or judging as the Son of Man for punishment, uh, for sins, it's all going to be Jesus. He's going to be the one sitting in judgment in all the future judgments, all the way out till uh, the great white throne, the last great judgment, and then we go into eternity, and the Son takes his seat next to his Father in the new Jerusalem, and it comes down to the earth. And that's going to be the glorious eternity, the glorious, sinless, deathless uh, tearless eternity that we have to look forward to. Um, verse 23, so that all, he's given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. For he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So he's making several points here. All are going to honor, whether they believe him or not, because it says at one point in time, it says in the scriptures, every knee will bow. Everybody's knee, regardless of their belief, will bow to the Son of God as the great judge. And he's saying, I'm going to make my son judge. And if you understand that, you will honor him because he's going to come and judge you. And if you don't understand that, he's going to judge you as the Son of Man. He's going to judge you for your unbelief. But God would much prefer that you honor the Son, and therefore if you honor the Son, you honor the Father, and you will have as a reward eternal life with the Son and the Father. Then we went to um, chapter, or chapter 5 of John, verses 27 to 29, 
to make the point about the Son of Man being the executor of judgment. And in verse 27, it says, And he gave him, God gave Jesus, authority to execute judgment. And we saw that up at, uh, in verse 22. It says the Father doesn't judge anyone, but he gives the Son all judgment. So again, verse 27, And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And the judgment is going to be executed against all the people of all time, as well as the fallen angels, as well as the fallen angels who came, fell from heaven, if you will, uh, into iniquity um, with Satan, the father of all the fallen angels. Uh, If you will, the father, he's the leader, I should say, of all the fallen angels because Satan is a created being, just like all the angels are created by God. Um, Satan uh, never, never believe any teaching that says that Satan has any godlike qualities. He is not equal to the Son of God. He's not equal to Jesus. And I know that there are um, religious systems out there that teach that Satan and Jesus are brothers. Well, there's nothing in the Scripture that says that. In fact, it tells you very clearly that Jesus is the Son of God through an immaculate conception uh, with the Holy Spirit and Mary, whereas Satan is a created being. God created him directly as one of the chief angels uh, under the name Lucifer. So back to our, our scripture here. So he has, verse 27, he, God, has given Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And then go on down here for a couple of more verses as we see in our worksheet. 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So you see here that all people of all times will stand in judgment. They will be resurrected. In other words, their body and their spirit will be resurrected, just like we will be at the rapture. Everybody will be resurrected to stand for judgment. And uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 tells us it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. So there will be judgment for everyone. It'll either be for good deeds, which will result in a resurrection of a life or eternal life, again, verse 29, or it'll be a resurrection to stand before judgment for evil deeds, And the result of that will be eternal separation from God in what is called the lake of fire. So this is going to be brought about. The good deeds will be judged by the Son of God. The bad deeds will be judged at another time and another place with other groups of people uh, by the Son of Man. And the result will be judgment um, for sin. And the result will be eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. Then he makes the point even more clear, I think, to the Jews that he's talking to specifically in John chapter 5 when you drop down, as you see in our worksheet, um, verse 43 of John 5 to the end of the chapter, which is verse 47. It says, and again, Jesus talking, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. 
How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? In other words, why are you seeking glory from men when you should be seeking glory from the one that is of God, the one and only God? Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. These are the Jews that are believing that because we're in the lineage of Moses, that because we're in the lineage of Abraham, we're going to be saved because of our genealogy. And Jesus is saying in verse 46, For if you believed Moses, <laughs> you would believe me. For, the, for he, Moses, wrote about me. And I think that's a direct reference to Deuteronomy, verse, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19, where the Holy Spirit is leading Moses way back there 1,400 years before Christ to prophesy about the coming Messiah, that one would come from Israel, from God, and God would tell them to follow him and to listen to him, and if they don't listen to him, they would die. And that's a direct reference to uh, Jesus and the judgment side of Jesus, if you will. And Moses wrote all about him. And he says, Moses is going to judge you because you should have believed him. And not just the fact that Moses is a Jew, but the fact that Moses was saved through a belief in uh, there is a greater sacrifice that is needed in order for me to be acceptable to my father God. And Moses was deemed righteous. Even though he died in the wilderness because of a rash act, uh, we will see Moses again. Of course, we saw Moses uh, described in Matthew chapter 17 in the Mount of Transfiguration when he stood with Jesus and Elijah there for that moment. Again, the purpose of that Mount of Transfiguration experience was for God to show the Jews, and remember you had several apostles standing there seeing this, Peter specifically, who commented on it, that it's my son that you should be uh, focusing on. It's my son that you should have saving faith in, not Moses, not Elijah. So <clears throat> there are several ways that God has gone out of his gracious way in graciousness to show us that it's Jesus that our focus should be on and not Moses and even Moses said that it should be focused on Jesus, but the Jews are hard-headed and just were not uh, wanting to see that. But in verse 47, the last verse of John chapter 5, he says, But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So if they're putting the emphasis in Moses and they won't believe his words, why would they believe the words of Jesus who Moses prophesied about? So he's showing his judgment side there. He's showing that if you don't believe who I am, if you didn't believe Moses, who described who I was going to be yet 1,400-plus years in the future, if you didn't believe him, then in your unbelief you will be judged by me as the Son of Man, as was described back over here in John chapter 5 and verse 27. He gave him authority to execute judgment because he's the Son of Man. The Jews would not believe Moses. The Jews would not believe Jesus. Therefore, they saw him as nothing more than the son of a man, and therefore, they're going to be judged. And God is very clear 
God is very clear in his judgments. Uh, on your worksheets at the top of the uh, portion on the Son of Man, you see Deuteronomy 7, and in Deuteronomy 7, verse 10, God's very clear about how he judges men to their faces when they do not believe in him or his son. And I want to show you a New Testament passage that I think is just as descriptive, and that's in Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, just as descriptive as Moses was, uh, you know, 1,400 years before when Moses wrote, and here's Paul writing to the Thessalonians who believed that they had missed the the rapture of the church and were in the tribulation because somebody had come along after Paul's first visit with the Thessalonians and had said, Paul was wrong. All this persecution you're undergoing because of the Romans there in, in Greece, is this is the tribulation, and you've missed the rapture. And Paul comes back in Second Thessalonians to reemphasize, no, you haven't, guys. You haven't missed the rapture yet because the, the, uh, the church, and they were believing that the church, which was in existence at that time, remember it started in Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, several years before, that the church was, could have been raptured out at that point in time. Paul believed that rapture could happen in his lifetime, as you can tell from his writings. But he tells the Thessalonians, you haven't missed the rapture, and there's going to be some judgment of these people who are harassing you. So let's look at 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and let's look at verses 6 through 10. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. He's describing the second coming of Christ when Christ is going to judge the earth when in flaming fire. Verse 8, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Verse 10, when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you, was believed. So we're going to spend some time coming back here in our next program to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 to these really great verses, descriptive verses of God's repaying uh, of injustices against the church uh, in in verses 6 through 10. So we'll come back to that in our next program, but we want to transition now as we always do over to our Q&A time and pick up once again with our question from Rich in Indian Springs that has to do with the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit function. Uh, his question was particularly in the tribulation, and we've been talking, kind of turning this into a mini-series and talking about the functioning of the triune Godhead in the Old Testament, then in the church age that we're in right now, and how the Holy Spirit will function during the tribulation, which is really bringing it home to uh, answer Rich's question. And so we were 
finishing up looking at the function of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the reason for doing that and going through these different scriptures. And by the way, we're going to be going to um, Judges. So we're in the Old Testament. We're in the seventh book from the from the front. So you've got uh, the five books of um, Moses ending in Deuteronomy. Then you have Joshua. Then you have Judges. So if you would, be turning in your Bibles to Judges. And we're going to go to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And the reason for doing this in the Old Testament is because the way the Holy Spirit functioned in the Old Testament is the way the Holy Spirit will function during the tribulation. The way he functioned in the Old Testament and will in the, in the tribulation is different, quite different than how he is functioning today. Because today, because of the church, because of the faith that people have in Jesus Christ, that he is the son of the living God, that he did minister on this earth, that he was crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day, a special thing is um, gifted to the church, and that is the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So even though you may, as a Christian, um, sin, and we all sin, and we'll talk about that in First uh, John sometime, we all sin as Christians, but we have an advocate in heaven, Jesus Christ, who will forgive us of our sins. We simply ask for forgiveness, but we are not um, practicer, practicing sinners. We don't habitually sin. That's what unbelievers do, but believers have what you call point-in-time sin or will have a season of sin, if you will, and I don't want to take that too far with a season of sin, but we can be out of favor with God and still have the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the point I really want to emphasize and get across to you, is we cannot lose the Holy Spirit as members of the church, as true members of the church. And I say that to differentiate from somebody who professes belief in Jesus Christ, but their life in no way um, is exemplary of what a life in Christ would be. In other words, somebody who is in the Word, who is a um, person who wants to do the works of the Lord, that loves to talk about the Lord, loves to talk with them, members of the church. But if they're, if they're living and exhibiting a lifestyle of sin, then there's a good chance that they never were Christians, that they never experienced the love of Christ and therefore do not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So there's a big difference that can be talked about for days, and we're not in a position to do that now, but we're talking about a member of the church, a true member of the church, has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That is something special for the church that started at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it will end with the rapture of the church when the church is taken to heaven. And once the church is taken to heaven, and there are only unrighteous people on the earth, that begins the tribulation, and the Holy Spirit will come, uh, will be uh, in action again, if you will, in the lives of people who will seek him during the tribulation. It'll be a very difficult time, a very difficult thing to do. But God in his graciousness, as we talked about in uh, past programs answering this question, 
Uh, we'll bring the two Jewish witnesses, very, very powerful witnesses, to witness to the gospel of the kingdom that will be reintroduced um, to Israel and to the world during the tribulation because the king will come to set up his kingdom. That's Jesus. And then he also will raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists. We read about those in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14. And they will be around the world sharing the gospel of the kingdom during the tribulation. So the Holy Spirit will be in action, if you will, but he will be coming on people and will leave them. That's the difference. And that's what we've been studying through the various scriptures, uh, 1 Samuel 16, um, Psalm 51, uh, Exodus 31. We were in Numbers chapter 11, then Numbers chapter 24, looking at all the different examples of how the Holy Spirit would come on people but would leave them if they became unrighteous. And they wanted to wrap up in Judges, as I had uh, mentioned a little bit uh, earlier in the program here, Judges chapter 6. And we look at Judges chapter 6. We're talking about one more example of the Holy Spirit coming on a person. And I wanted to to bring this one up specifically because it has an interesting cross-reference with um, the first sacrifice in the history of mankind that God actually made. In Judges chapter 6, and we go to verse 34, we're talking about Gideon, and it says in Judges chapter 6, verse 34, so the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. And of course, we know the exploits of Gideon uh, as a prophet of God uh, from that point on that he had been, uh, it, basically the Hebrew is the Holy Spirit clothed Gideon. And the interesting thing here is that the word clothed, which is came, the word came upon uh, in the NASB that I'm using here, but the Hebrew is clothed, the Holy Spirit clothed Gideon. And the Hebrew word clothed is the same word that is used back in Genesis when God Uh, Remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and they sowed fig leaves on themselves to hide their sin, so to speak. In other words, they were trying to do their own thing to get themselves saved from the wrath of God. But God says, no, he will do that. And he killed an animal, and it was the shedding of blood that forgave their sins. And he says he took the skin of the animal, and he clothed Adam and Eve. So in effect, what it is, is that clothing of Adam and Eve, it was a bringing of the Holy Spirit on Adam and Eve. In other words, God um, purified them. He absolved them of that sin. In other words, we're going to see Adam and Eve in, uh, in heaven when they're resurrected at the end of the tribulation as Old Testament saints. Because just as with Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verse 34 The same thing with Adam and Eve. They were clothed with the Holy Spirit. So I wanted wanted you to see that specific point because um, now what I want to do is wrap up this whole point about the Old Testament and being righteous and having the Holy Spirit and then um, turning to iniquity, in other words, becoming unrighteous during your life. You can lose the Holy Spirit and therefore be condemned to eternal separation from God, which is called hell. 
And we're going to do that in our next program in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. So that's where we will be uh, in our Q&A portion in our next program. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Our special offer this month is Consider the Ant, Volume 1, The Basics. Consider the Ant is a biblically-based look at emergency preparedness. You'll be taken through the steps necessary to prepare yourself for the unexpected. This special DVD can be yours for only $20. To get your copy of Volume 1, The Basics from Consider the Ant, simply call us at 878-6279. That's 423-878-6279. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.